What's up, everyone? Welcome into the Round 6 Podcast, the most violent podcast in sports. We are your hosts, Keaton Cordell and Jake Smith, coming to you live from Fort Worth, Texas and Denver, Colorado. The UFC is back in action this week from Paris, France, their first trip ever to the country. I'm super excited. It's an absolutely stacked card. Some fights are kind of flying under the radar a little bit, but nonetheless, I'm excited to see the UFC back in action this Saturday. But as always, we got to start with the Contender Series, Jake. We saw... A really good slate of fights on Tuesday, Uh, a lot of good fighters, a lot of good finishes. But for me, the two that stood out the most are the last two fights on the card. So we had Cedriquez Dumas came out guns blazing, locks up a guillotine choke with all or at only 47 seconds of round number one. And and just, I mean, kind of shook the world a little bit. That guillotine found a home so fast. Um, But the shining star for me is without a doubt going to be Yusaki Kinoshita, Kinoshita uh, the shorter fighter in this fight, um, did some really good work. His, his opponent was far taller than he was, but Kinoshita found a way to uh, land some good leg kicks, really slow down his opponent's movement, and at, at only 43 seconds into round number three, lands one of the most vicious counters that I've ever seen in my life. So if, if you didn't see it, Kinoshita absolutely saw... Uh, his opponent straight come from five miles away, slips it, gets out of the way, comes right back with a straight left, and end of the night for for Kenosha's opponent. So uh, it, it was a great fight. Um, the technique that he used was really slick. Uh, I like what I see out of him. I like what I saw out of Cedriquez Dumas. Um, but, you know, what else can you say? This season on the Contender Series has just been absolutely amazing. Um, there's There's nothing better than having nothing to do on Tuesday night and turning on the contender series and just getting going for, you know, always a great slate of five fights. Um, but another thing that we saw recently was the return of Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse coming back to, to take a crack at uh, getting his title back. And, and what a finish we saw there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, just because we didn't have UFC last weekend, doesn't mean we didn't see the, uh, the goat in action. We saw the greatest of all time, in my opinion. Like, you can put John Jones up there. You can put GSP up there. You can put Anderson Silva there. Demetrius Johnson, by far, pound for pound, is the best of all time. I don't care what he weighs in at, who he fights, anything like that. Mighty Mouse is the greatest flyweight of all time, and I believe he's still currently the greatest flyweight in the world at this moment. I don't see anybody at that weight class beating him. I don't think Figueredo beats him. I don't think Moreno beats him. I don't think Kaikar France can beat him. And I mean, if, if he were to move up, I, I honestly, I don't know that the last guy he fought, Adrian Marais, I mean, he was a big boy. People were calling him a lightweight. People are calling him a featherweight. I could see, I could see uh, Mighty Mouse competing with just about anybody in the top five and all three of those divisions, to be honest. And I would like to take a look back at the knee as well that he got the finish with. If you look at the first time these two fought and won championship, 
Sure, Mighty Mouse may not have known the exact rules coming from the UFC where when you're a grounded opponent, you're not allowed to be kneed to the head. Whereas in Japan with one championship, that's fully legal. You can do all that kind of stuff. So he took his first loss there to a knee while he was grounded. But he got the rematch in this fight. And watching it, it looked like he he had a mission. It looked like he wanted the knee to be the finish as well. He slips the hook, comes back with another of his own, and you see, you see Marais. He's going down. He's falling back. He's taking steps back towards the cage. And Demetrius Johnson is just following him. He's just stalking him there. He could throw punches. He could unleash. He could take him down and finish the fight. But he waits, 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 and throws that left knee and puts him down right there. I th- it, was, it was beautiful. It was poetry in motion. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better knockout, a better way to get the finish than that, in my opinion. And he's still the greatest of all time. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. And, and he's such a well-rounded fighter. So it doesn't matter where the fight goes. Mm-hmm. DJ is always going to be in it. He's always going to be looking for a finish, pressing the action. And that's something that I love seeing from any fighter, um, but especially fighters at the top of their respective divisions in, in any organization. And another thing that I think stood out to me with that finish in particular this past week was just how slow he took it. Like, if you watch it in real time... It, like most finishes in fights, um, sometimes you can see a guy that almost looks, no, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but looks like they're trying to get the finish. Mm-hmm. And DJ really looked like he was just waiting for the finish to come to him. I, I mean, you, you see him kind of faint uh, a knee or a kick, followed up with a couple good shots with the hands. And then just like you said, just stalking uh, his opponent, walks him down and finds the knee to get the finish. It, it, it For me that shows me that you're like at the top of the game in terms mm-hmm. of experience. Like yeah, that's, that's, when that's you're able to take it slow and, and you know, a knockout shouldn't look slow, but it almost looks slow, but mm-hmm. not in a bad way. Like I say that uh, to say this in that when you've got a guy with that much experience, they, they the, a fight to them seems slow. Like that doesn't seem mm-hmm. like it's bang, bang. It's happening real quick. That, that fight to them is almost like slow motion, I would say, because of the experience and because of kind of the IQ that they have coming into any given fight. So um, that that knockout was was ridiculous for me. Yeah, but, I agree. It's, it's just totally unmatched fight IQ. It's something almost no one else has. Like, you, no one has the experience that he has. 11, 12 UFC title fights. I mean, he's fought Henry Cejudo twice, another guy with one of the highest fight IQs there is. Now they're pretty good friends. They talk all the time. I saw Cejudo called him after the win. I mean, he's, just because he's not in the UFC does not mean he's still not at the top. And like, I fully believe had he come into the UFC maybe right now when people are actually interested in the lighter divisions, I mean, he might be the biggest star in the world at the moment. But he was back then when not a lot of people cared about the 125ers. It was just tough to get, was tough to get fights. It was tough to get eyes on the sport. But it doesn't mean he's not the best out there. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. But I don't see why we need to, to you know, kind of deliberate on this one anymore. Great fights we saw over the course of the last week. But let's get into it. UFC Fight Night, Gone versus Tuivasa, comes to us live on Saturday from Paris, France. A historic first trip for the UFC to uh, the, country, the country of France and, and to Paris and We've just got a whole slate of French fighters on this card. I think it's really good for the sport and really good from a business standpoint to get into these new markets and to put a lot of their favorites on the card. 
you know, obviously at the top of the card, you've got Cyril Gaon, who's just emerged as a terrifying heavyweight and, and one of those guys that's like a next generation heavyweight, if you will. Um, but, but all throughout the entire card, top to bottom, French fighters are kind of sprinkled in there. And, and I think that's a huge, like just a great decision on the UFC's part. We're coming to Paris for the first time. We got to throw some French fighters on the card. And it, it just makes all the sense in the world to me. But Jake, what are you looking for on these prelims and on this fight card in general? Yeah, just to, to piggyback off that, like it's a, it's an untapped market basically for the UFC. I don't think MMA has been legal for that long in France. Definitely not very long at all. I know when Francis Ngannou had first started in Paris, he couldn't even fight MMA yet. The, the rules weren't established basically yet. And same for Cyril Gaon. There's a reason he was doing kickboxing for so long. Like they just they didn't have MMA for them yet. So it's it's an untapped market that the UFC is trying to break into. And what better way than to host a, a fight card out there with all the new fighters on it. But let's break into the card. One of the top French people that I'd like to see is Benoit Saint-Denis, the god of war. Sitting at 9-1 and one with one no contest. This guy is an absolute animal. Fighting Gabriel Miranda, who's been pretty lackluster. Doesn't have a lot of fights. I believe he's been sitting out for about a year now. Saint-Denis is a finisher. The god of war is a perfect nickname for him. I believe he only has one decision in all nine of his wins. Everything else coming from submission, basically. He's got arm triangle, arm triangle, rear naked, knee bar, arm bar, guillotine. He has one finish, basically, by TKO punches, which was a takedown ground and pound that he could have just subbed anyway. This guy is an absolute animal on the ground, and I don't see Gabriel Miranda having anything to do with him. No, I I, I couldn't agree with that more. And one thing that you look at with not necessarily like all fighters in general, but new fighters. Benoit Saint-Denis obviously only has two fights in the UFC thus far. Um, one thing that you kind of wonder is, you know, what do they bring to the table? What experience do they have outside of the UFC? Um, and, and for a lot of guys or, or girls for that matter, you're looking at the, the record, you know, in amateur mm -hmm. fights, professional fights leading up to this. But I think one thing that Benoit Saint-Denis you know, brings to the table in any of his fights is that uh, he used to be, I, I don't exactly know the name of this branch for the French military, but he used mm. to be like the French military's equivalent of a Navy SEAL in the United really? States. Really? Yeah, whatever that is uh, over in France. Benoit Saint-Denis is just a killer, man. Like, it, like, you never have to wonder or you never have to worry about him, you know, not having heart, not having... Uh, the will to win in any fight. Mm -hmm. And that's no more uh, apparent than his first fight in the UFC over in Abu Dhabi. Um, you know, all, all respect to, to Benoit, but he, he's just kind of getting walked through. And that fight should have been stopped probably 20 different times. And, and the ref, I, I don't know his name. I should know his name. Uh, but he was later removed from the rest of his assignments on that card because he failed to stop the fight in so many mm, different circumstances. I do remember that. But, but Benoit just didn't stop. Like, he kept getting up. Like, there's so many guys that I think would have just laid down there and, and not tapped or anything to, to strikes, but guys that just wouldn't have gotten up off the canvas. And Benoit Saint-Denis, every single time he got put down, looked up at the ref. The ref, you know, wasn't going to stop it. And, you know, he should have. He absolutely should have. Benoit Saint-Denis should have been finished there. But the ref just didn't stop the fight. But that didn't stop Benoit Saint-Denis. He's always in the fight. He, he never thinks that he's down and out. And, and to me, that's kind of a product of his experience in the military and, and the training mm -hmm. kind of just taking over when you're in those bad situations. So uh, I love Benoit Saint-Denis here this weekend. I think he gets it done.
See, I wasn't aware of that the, the military background, which just just to throw it out there, that makes the origin of his nickname terrifying to me. Like, mm-hmm. did that come from MMA, or is this man a legitimate god of war? Like, what, what yeah. do you do? <laughs> yeah, well, it almost like it makes you think about uh, uh, Mirko Krokop to to throw a legend out there as an example, and and not to equate Benoit Saint Denis with two fights in the UFC to the you know the likes of Mirko Krokop, but Mirko like Krokop, outside. yeah, but before his career in MMA, he was an he was in an anti terrorist squadron in Croatia, like. Like, I, I think Joe Rogan said it best yep. uh, when he was watching the video of him staring down Vanderlei Silva. But he's just, Krokop's just unfazed in that stare down. And Joe Rogan's like, that's the face of a man who's killed someone with a knife. And like, I mean, we don't know has. what Benoit Saint Denis has or hasn't done outside the octagon. So who's to say he hasn't either, you know? It is the French. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> However, he'll prove me wrong, probably. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I hope he proves all of us wrong. And then moving into another bout in the prelims, we have Nazardini Mavov versus Joaquin Buckley. I know this is a fight you and me both like because we have been following Joaquin Buckley quite a bit. A little bit because we're both fans of Kevin Holland coming from Fort Worth, and we love to see his son go to, go to work. But everyone he fights, and like all of his fights as well, they just, they, they're great fights. Like One, he's fun to watch in the cage. He's, he's an entertainer in there. Uh, you've seen it with the you've seen it with the donkey kick. You saw it just with the absolute war against Abdul Razak Al Hassan. He's he's just a fun fighter to watch. Do I think he can get it done against Nazardini Mavov? I'm not sure, but I mean that's something we're just gonna have to see. Yeah, and, and Imavov is another one of those guys um, coming out of France. Trains with Cyril Gon. Cyril Gon cornered uh, Imavov's last fight, um, and Imavov is from Russia, so he's got kind of the stylistically at least the same approach as a lot of the Russian guys do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the difference for him is that his striking is a lot more developed. And uh, he's just one of those guys to me, especially on a card here in Paris where he trains, like you've got that much more motivation to come Mm -hmm. out there and get a win. So uh, personally, I would think Imavov gets it done, but Buckley's got knockout power. We've seen, um, his cardio has come a long way. He's not gassing in a lot of his fights. Mm-hmm. And, and so this fight's just going to be a great fight all around. I'm not necessarily mad, uh, no matter who wins, but I, I just kind of have a feeling that Imavov is going to, is going to get a victory here. Yeah. And I think he's really coming for blood in this one too. He's on a pretty decent win streak, uh, beating the likes of Ian Heinish and Edmund Shabazian. And he was supposed to have a fairly big outing this year at UFC 273 against Kelvin Gastelum. That card or that fight did get called off the card, and now he's sitting back uh, fighting in France against Joaquin Buckley. It's a step down in competition, maybe not in terms of actual competition because Buckley is a good fighter, and Kelvin Gastelum has been on the way out maybe a little bit. But in terms of just the magnitude of the fight, I would say he 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 almost had a pay per view fight against Gastelum. That is a kind of fight that skyrockets you in the division. So you know he's coming for blood in this one, especially fighting at home. This is just a big story for him. He wants to go up at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, completely agree with all of that. But let's move into this main card. Uh, we've got Charles Jordan, Nathaniel Wood, William Gonis, and Yarno Aarons, Nazrat Hagparas, and John Macdessy, Alessio DeKirko, Roman Kopilov, and then the two fights at the top of the card, Rob Whitaker versus Marvin Vittori and Cyril, Cyril Gaon versus Tai Tuivasa. 
I'm excited about all these fights. I, I love anytime Charles Jordan steps into the octagon. Um, I love obviously watching Robert Whitaker go to work. And then how could you not be excited for this main event? So what fights are you looking for on the main card that you think are going to stand out and uh, you think people should be kind of on watch for? I mean, the fight I'm looking forward to more than anything is the Robert Whitaker versus Marvin Vittori fight. That that fight's just going to be an absolute banger, in my opinion. We don't see Vittori go down. The, the man's got a chin of granite, or granite, as um, Michael Bisping <laughs> would say. But with Whitaker's striking pedigree, like it's it's a fight that I just don't know what's going to happen. Like, can Vittori just continue to eat every shot that Whitaker throws? And like, we're going to see Whitaker pull off techniques that we've been talking about in past podcasts. You see Whitaker do those following tracer kicks all the time. He, but he does it on the other side. He likes to throw that jab, cross, and follow that right cross up with the high kick. It's, it's a move you see TJ Dillashaw do as well with the Bang Muay Thai fighters. It's just, it's a style that Vittori has not had to face yet. And it, it's just, it's just going to be interesting to see. And we know Whitaker can wrestle. We know Whitaker's got jujitsu. He just opened up a Gracie Baja gym out in Australia. So it's not like Marvin Vittori's wrestling pedigree is going to outdo Robert Whitaker. This is just a fight that, in my opinion, I think Robert Whitaker is going to show the world why he is the number two, number one contender to Israel Adesanya, but the number two middleweight in the world. And I don't see any change in that personally. No, I, I would I would tend to agree with that, especially because, as you mentioned, Robert Whitaker's been in there with everyone. You know, he's mm-hmm. seen Yoel Romero for ten rounds. He's seen. Just some absolute savages in there. And I, I think Marvin Vittori is a good fighter, don't get me wrong. But when you kind of add up all of the different techniques that he's seen, all of the different styles that he's seen, I just don't think Marvin Vittori brings anything different to the table that you can point at and say, okay, well, you know, he's got all of this going for him. But at the same time, Robert Whitaker hasn't faced this or Robert Whitaker hasn't faced that because Whitaker's seen it all. He's been in there with pretty much everyone that you can think of in the middleweight division that's still active right now. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think Vittori brings enough to the table. Um, You know, we saw him just get shut out by the champ and, and, um, you know, obviously Robert Whitaker got finished by the champ, but I think that also kind of lends itself to Vittori's chin versus Robert Whitaker's chin. Vittori is obviously just built like a, you know, a a gargoyle that should be on a castle rampart. Um, But I I think this one's probably going to go to a decision you know, I, who wouldn't love to see a finish here? Um, but I think this one goes to a decision. I think Whitaker yeah. gets it done. And I don't believe Izzy was coming for blood when he was going against Vittori like he was in the first Whitaker fight. You and me went to the second Whitaker fight. There were a lot of people in the stands who aren't even sure Izzy won that fight, actually, on that point. So it, it's not like Robert Whitaker has this chin that's just going to be destroyed. It's not like Robert Whitaker is not one of the best in the world still. Other than his losses to Izzy, which the second one could be a controversial loss, he hasn't lost to anybody then other than Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in 2014. It's been nearly 10 years since he's lost other than to Israel Adesanya. Sure, Vittori, you can kind of say the same. It's just not the same, though, in my opinion. Like, like you said, Robert Whitaker has been in there with absolutely everybody. He's gone 10 rounds with Yoel Romero. He's beat Jacare Souza. He's beat everybody there is in the division at this point. I, I, don't, I don't see Vittori having anything for him personally. No, I think you're spot on with that. And then let's get to the top of the card here. I'm super excited about this one, and we talked a little bit about it on last week's show, but... How could you not be excited for Tai Tuivasa to get this opportunity 
And how could you not be excited to see Cyril Gunn potentially bounce back from a loss to Francis Ngannou, the champ? This fight is crazy to me. I think it's probably easy for a lot of people to point to Gunn and just say he's going to outpace him. He's mm. going to, you know, the, the technique is going to kick in and that's what's going to get it done. But I don't think it's that easy, to be quite nah. honest. I think Gunn definitely has a path to victory that makes sense for him. But Taitui Voss is a lot better than people give him credit for. I don't think uh, people realize how much Taitui Vasa works when mm -hmm. he's not only not in camp, but when he's in camp training for a fight, especially a fight of this magnitude. Obviously, he picked up camp from Western Sydney, moved it out to Abu Dhabi to kind of cut down on the partying a little bit. And that's paid dividends dividends for him mm -hmm. over these last few fights. And I just I, I think people look at Ty and they see a guy who just wants to go in there and brawl and hope that he lands a power shot. But to me, Ty Tuivas is a guy that's a lot more technical and a lot yeah. more um, experienced and knowledgeable about what he's looking for than people give him credit for. So I don't think this is a walk in the park for Gone at all. I, I think that he's got a real contender in front of him in Ty Tuivasa, even though the betting line doesn't necessarily reflect that. I, I think this is going to be a great fight. I don't think either guy um, has an easy fight here at all. Mm -mm. No, yeah, Ty, absolutely, and he's going to be the first one to admit it, absolutely started his career as a brawler. No technique. He's just going to, to swing and bang. I mean, he, he was a brawler, and he, he started out 3-3 three and three in his career. And since then, he's had quite a resurgence. He hooked up with the Hickman brothers out in Thailand. He's been training out in Bangtao a little bit right before he moved out to Abu Dhabi just to get his weight down, he says, but also to get a little crispier on the technique, on the striking, all that. But Ty is just a different animal these days, and – this is, this is your typical, like, just because he's not a brawler doesn't mean this still isn't your typical striking kickboxer, technical kickboxer versus brawler fight. I think Ty's going to be able to stay in there, stand right in front of Cyril, take some of his heavier shots, and deliver right back, just like he did against Derek Lewis. I mean, he stood in there and took some of the heaviest shots I've ever seen from the king of knockouts, the knockout artist. I mean, Derek Lewis, when he lands a right hand, he puts you out. And Ty was eating them, staying right in the pocket, throwing little short elbows. I mean, he's technical. Like, he is actually a technical fighter now. That elbow that he knocked out Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis with, I mean, that was a disgusting elbow. Yeah, I'm. we were at that fight live. Yeah. I'm never going to forget. And we had a good view of it, too. We were down in the, the, the lower bowl of the Toyota Center in Houston when Ty got that knockout. And it was on, like, the opposite side of the cage from where we were sitting. So we had a great view of it. And I'm never going to forget watching Ty land probably one of the shortest elbows I've seen and Derek Lewis just face plant. I love Derek Lewis. Both of us are from Texas. How could you not? But ultimately, Ty goes in there and gets it done. And, and we, I mentioned this last week on the show, but I think it, it makes even more sense to mention on, on Ty Tuivasa fight week. But Chael Sonnen said it right. He was not prepared to say then that Tai Tuivasa waking up on Sunday, the morning after that fight, was the number three heavyweight in the world. And, and how wild would it be for Ty to get a win here over Cyril and Ty's in line for a title shot against Ngannou? I mean, he, be wild. he can do it. It's not like outside of the realm of possibility for him. Mm -hmm. So either way this fight goes, I think it's wild. Obviously, if Cyril wins, it potentially sets up a rematch with the champ Ngannou, and, and that's got a whole you know storyline, and they have history. But wouldn't you just love to see Ty Tuivasa get a title shot? I, I mean, that yeah. would be one of like, I don't want to call it an underdog story because Ty's worth is wild, but like a guy that no one pointed to 
18 months ago and said, that guy's going to fight for a title mm-hmm. within the next two years. I, and it's just, it's crazy. And, and I would love to see it, honestly. Like, I'm not against it. And he's, he's perfect for the UFC right now as well. Like, Dana White's getting big with all this Nelk stuff, with the happy dad, with Steve will do, you know, all those guys and everything like that. Ty is the perfect mix for that. He's an entertainer. He comes out to a banger every time, whether it's girls just want to have fun, whether it's Barbie girl. Like, he's an entertainer when he comes out. He's an entertainer when he's in there. His striking, his, his brawl style, just everything about him is entertainment. And then if he gets the win... You got somebody tossing him a shoe, tossing him a beer, and he's just going to hit that shoey every time. Like, could you imagine seeing him get a title, like a title win? They put the belt around him. He gets on the cage with the belt, does a shoey. I mean, come on now. Like, it's pure entertainment. It's something the UFC kind of needs right now. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there because if I remember correctly, and we might, I don't, you know, I don't know, we might have a video that, that proves that this happened. Don't but- recall. He is an entertainer, and uh, if I remember correctly, when we were in Houston, he might have got a member of this show to do a shoey at the same time that Ty did, just out of excitement. But we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll have to go to the archives, see if we have any video to back Who? that up. Who did that? But I, I seem to remember one of us doing a shoey right after Ty got that win. I, I can neither confirm nor deny. Maybe the video will. But All I know is, all I know is, if he does it again this weekend... <laughs> A shoey will happen on next week's episode, and that is a fact. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. As it should. As it should. But without further ado, let's get into our bets. Let's start throwing some picks out there. You you and I spent some time on the phone leading up to this week's episode talking about who we wanted to pick, having a good bounce back week from our last fight card. So let's get into it. Let's start with our dog of the week. Jake, who do you got? So this week's dog of the week, we're taking Stephanie Egger inside the distance. Personally, I, I don't even understand how this is possibly an underdog bet, and that's why we have to take it. Stephanie Egger is sitting at 7-1. and one. However, she has seven wins, six of them coming inside the distance, only one being by decision. Typically, when you see a women's fight, this is why it has such a crazy line for inside the distance. Most of them do tend to go the distance. However, Stephanie Egger is an absolute ace on the ground. She's the one who we just saw break Jessica Rose Clark's arm. Right before that, she had a TKO against Shawnee Young. For that, submission rear naked. Submission, 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 armbar. I mean, this girl's going to get it done. I, I see no reason why she shouldn't finish this fight inside the distance. And taking it at plus 110, like, that's easy money. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that's a solid pick. Great choice for Dog of the Week. You know, our goal is to kind of pick Dogs of the Week that are super competitive, um, that we think have a lot of value, and, and I think we've done that here. Um, so moving forward, let's go into – the hammer of the week. Jake, you're the Hebrew. Let's see the hammer. Who you got? So for this week's hammer of the week, we are taking Robert Whitaker by decision at minus 115. This is just another crazy line to me because we're seeing Robert Whitaker sit at around a minus 200, nearly minus 300 in some books uh, just to win the fight. And the chin on Marvin Vittori is unmatched. Like, he, he's just not being put away. He's never been put away in his career. I don't see Whitaker being able to do it, especially sitting at a three-round fight instead of five. These two have both been in five-round wars their last several fights. Having to only do three, sure, they can put a pace on. Sure, they can throw a little harder. But you're not going to get the wear and tear of five rounds. Like, it's just not going to happen. And Whitaker has been proven time and time again nobody can match him other than the champ. 
So I think it should be a fairly easy coast to a decision, honestly, at this point. With his striking pedigree, with his wrestling pedigree, there's nowhere Vittori's going to be able to match him in this fight. And I don't think he's going to get put away either. So Whitaker yeah. by decision seems like a very easy pick to make here. 100%. And what a bounce back pick for us. We kind of got burned by a decision pick on our last uh, yeah. two episodes ago, and I just don't see that happening again. I mean, if Vittori clips him with 20 seconds left, I mean, I'm going to throw something at the TV. Yeah, what what can you do at that point, though? No. We'll just have to stay away from decision bets, but I think that's a solid bet. And uh, nothing better to me, not only when you can throw in a fun parlay, because who doesn't love a good parlay every single week, but this is a, a particularly fun parlay. We're calling it our parlay of the week. Because every fighter on the parlay is French. We've got Cyril Gon's money line at minus 540. Willem Gomez, minus 215. Nazardini Mabov, minus 255. Benoit Saint-Denis at minus 285. Kind of the same strategy that we employed a couple weeks ago where you're picking heavy favorites, trying to get all of their lines at better odds. Except the difference being that this week is four legs instead of three legs. So instead of getting it at almost even money, you're getting over two to one odds on this parlay. And I just think this parlay has a really good chance of hitting. I think we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but when you're fighting in your home country, especially for the first time in front of your home crowd, you've got that much more motivation to win these Mm -hmm. fights. I think you could probably make a case similar to what Derek Lewis saw in Houston um, a couple fights ago for him, where you might be compelled to say that these guys have more pressure on them but I just don't think that's the case, especially with a lot of these guys. That Their lines are they're extremely heavy favorites. And I think at the very least, Benoit Saint-Denis, Nazardini Mavov, and Cyril Gaon, uh not necessarily walks in the park. But I think they've all got just sure shot pass to victory should they go in there and take care of business. And then Willem Gomez, like, I like what I've seen out of him lately. I'm super excited. I'm glad that his line... Uh, reflects the work that he's done. So I think this is a really solid parlay, and I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, what I'm looking for in that is something similar to the first UFC London card, where we saw every single fighter from their hometown win in that card. Not the second one. Sure, Aspinall had something happen to him, but that first card was absolutely electric. Like, And I think that's what the UFC is looking for here, is to break into a new market and just absolutely explode in France. And so if all four of these guys can win the place is going to be going absolutely nuts. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely will be. I'm right there with you. And then let's get into our picks of the week. Picks of the week, as you all know, are just our most solid bets, the bets that we think have the best chance to win. And we usually throw in one that you can kind of just sprinkle on that's that's not necessarily a crazy line, but has a chance, and you're getting really good odds. So, Jake, you want to walk us through this one? Yeah, for starters, sitting at minus 135, we're going to take Benoit Saint-Denis inside the distance. This is So first, we did see Benoit Saint-Denis' money line on the parlay, and this is just another bet to take to just make that line just a little better for us. Benoit Saint-Denis, the god of war, is sitting at 9-1 and one right now. Those nine wins, zero decisions. That's the craziest part about this, zero decisions. Eight submissions, one knockout. Sure, we could have taken him by submission, gotten a little better money on that. However... You just you never know with some of these guys when they take you to the ground, hold you there. If they can't get the sub, if you're doing good defense, why not ground and pound? We've seen him do that one time where he got the TKO through punches on the ground against Mario Saeed. 
I don't believe that's going to happen. However, I know for a fact this fight is going to be finished inside the distance for the God of War. Yep, I, I completely agree with that. Next up, we've got Magomedov and Stoltzfus, the featured prelim on the card this week. We're going under two and a half rounds at minus 115. Uh, I think this fight gets finished pretty quick. Um, Magomedov obviously has got the wrestling pedigree. Stoltzfus is kind of a crafty veteran, so I think one of them finds a pretty quick path to victory in this fight. Yeah, I totally agree with that one. We don't see Magomedov go to a, go to a decision very often. Like I, You're hearing me say this over and over again because I already said it once with Benoit. I already said it with Stephanie Egger. But here we go, another guy with 24 wins, only five of them going to a decision. And it's been quite a long time since he went to a decision, actually. When I'm looking at it right now, it looks like his last decision was in 2015. And that was well before he even made it to the UFC. He hasn't had one UFC fight go the distance. This, this is a pretty easy pick, in my opinion. And if he were to lose, he's probably going to get caught somewhere inside the fight. So personally, I see Magomedov getting the win inside the distance. And if not, it doesn't even matter because we have both guys. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, we've got Charles Air Jordan's money line. I, I love what I see out of Charles Jordan. He's a Canadian that's just got skills all around. He he can put your lights out on the feet. He he can choke you out. He can you know get you in a submission and uh, and secure a victory for himself. He, he's just a guy that knows what he needs to do to win. And for that reason, I think we've got good value out of this money line. And I think it's. Uh, just a pick that you can kind of point to on this card and, and feel pretty confident when you throw some money on that one. And moving on to the next one, we got an underdog pick coming up with Nazrat Hackpress by decision. I'm taking this this fight by decision just because we've seen we've seen Nazrat not do so great in his last two outings. Two decision losses to both Bobby Green and Dan Hooker. It's been a tough outing for him. They're giving him a little easier opponent coming up on this fight. But like like I said, those are two decision losses. Before that, two decision wins to Hafa Garcia, Alex Munoz. He is clearly a fighter that wants to go the distance, whether it's going to be him taking the distance or whether it's him getting destroyed for the distance. He is here to take it the whole, the whole 15 minutes. And I believe he's going to out-wrestle. I believe he's going to be able to hold him down. I believe he's going to get this fight by decision. It should be a fairly easy win in three rounds. Yep, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And then the last pick on the slate, the one, the only, Tai Tuivasa. We've got his money line. I think this is more of a sprinkle pick than you know a confidence bet. Uh, but at, at over four to one odds, how could you not throw a little bit of money on Tai Tuivasa? Simply based out of the fact that his last several fights, he's proved damn near everyone wrong. And this is another fight that's eerily similar to some of those fights that he's had in the past with you know the likes of of a Derek Lewis who everyone thought was just going to go in there and have his way with Ty I, I say no I say that Cyril Gaon has a real challenge ahead of himself this weekend and it's worth a sprinkle at plus 420 you might as well throw some money on it and how much better are you going to feel about Ty Tuivasa when uh he's up there on the cage doing a shoey after a win and you look at your your uh, your slate of your bets on the weekend, and you see that a plus 420 underdog cashes. So without a doubt, in my opinion, that's worth a sprinkle. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we saw him take some of the heaviest shots we've ever seen from Derek Lewis and just give it right back. Those are shots Cyril Gaon does not physically have the power to do. Like, he's if Ty didn't get put away from Derek Lewis, I don't think Ty's going to get put away from Cyril. 
I think Cyril has the movement. I think Cyril can dance around him. I think Cyril can outstrike him, outclass him, move around. But at plus 420 and a puncher's chance in five rounds, I mean, come on now. Like, come yeah. on. All it takes is one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I 100% concur with that assessment there. So those are our picks. Make sure you hammer them. Get them in early. Get them at the best odds that you can. And I think that about wraps us up for this week. I'm super excited about this card. Uh, it's an early start. Obviously, they're over in Paris. So prelims come at you live at 11 a.m. Central Woo! on Saturday. And then the main card gets going at 2 p.m. Central time. So tune in. Make sure that you're watching. I know me and Jake are. So uh, without further ado, Jake, you have anything else that you want to say? All I got to say is I am hope I'm doing a shoey by 6 o'clock. <laughs> Yep, Shoeys on Saturday. Shoeys sure. all around, no doubt. Let's let's get it done. Super excited for this card. Make sure you go give us a follow on Instagram, at round6pod. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube. We're going to be dropping episodes every single Friday that you don't want to miss out. And uh, if there's no better time than now for the picks to get hot. So watch out for these picks. I, I think we've got some really solid bets out there. We're going to go make a lot of money. But until next Friday, you guys have a good one.